We've been looking at miracles in the life of Jesus Christ. We talked about the first miracle, which was the water and the wine. We talked about the second miracle, um, which was the um, healing of the nobleman's son. Um, now, from here on, it's kind of a free-for-all. It's very difficult to know what order they came in. Um, those, the Bible says, they were the first and the second, so those are pretty easy. But after that, it gets a little fuzzy on, on what the order is. So it kind of, for the most part, doesn't matter. We're just going to go through them. There are about 35-plus, give or take a couple, uh, depending on how you look at the miracle things, and we'll look at many of them. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 5. There are only seven miracles of Christ listed in the book of John. And so last week we talked about the healing of the nobleman's son. This week we're going to look at a second miracle that's in John. And like I say, it's, the, it's only, it's, you know, that's two out of the seven already. Um, it's a unique miracle um, in that it really becomes a turning point in the life of Jesus Christ. Because it is because of this miracle and because of what Jesus says after this miracle that the people really turn against, the leaders really turn against Jesus. Um, and we're going to get into some of that. But what happens in this miracle is Jesus, if you will, throws down a gauntlet in front of the, the spiritual leaders. And from this point on, they really seek to get rid of him because he's a problem now. Um, he's a big problem. And so you're going to start to see his ministry becomes... And often when Jesus did miracles, um, Jesus was confronting something, and, and we're going to see that in, in the miracle we look at today. So uh, with that in mind, let's look at uh, John chapter 5, and uh, we'll read it and kind of walk through it. Uh, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, we don't know what feast it was. Um, often in the life of Jesus, you find Jesus going to Jerusalem only when he has to. He doesn't spend a lot of time there. He only goes there when he has to go there. Uh, it was required of Jewish males that they go to, the, to Jerusalem three times a year. So that kind of somewhat limits it for us to get the idea that this was probably either the Feast of uh, Passover, um, the Feast of Purim, or uh, the Feast of Pentecost. Um, doesn't really matter. I'm going to throw it out and say it was probably Pentecost. It says, now, there was in the Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in the Aramaic is called Bethsa uh, Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five colored, uh, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Um, let's just stop there for a second and talk about it. Uh, an archaeologist discovered um, a pool in that area um, that many believe is probably it. Uh, that pool is about 150 feet wide by about 300 feet long. So let me put it in perspective for you. This building's 100 feet. So it's about three of these long. And it's 50 feet wide, so three of these wide. Okay, That's a good-sized swimming pool. We would call that an Olympic-sized pool today. All right. So if that's what it was, if that's the one that it was, you have to understand the saying. It's now saying that, that there were all of people that sat around this pool the lame, the sick, the paralyzed, waiting for something to happen. Um, there was a belief that an angel would stir the water every so often, and whoever got in the pool first would get healed. And so apparently that's what everybody's waiting for. And there are a whole bunch of sick people huddled around this place, just watching 
the water, if you will. And it says, one, there was one who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, I, I'm going to suggest to you that that 38 years is an important number. Um, just because, and again, this is my own little theory thing. So it's just my own deal. But um, one of the issues with this miracle is that it happens on the Sabbath. And I think the attention is drawn to the idea of 38 years for a couple of reasons. But one of the reasons is that um, there were 39 laws against this, uh, on things you could not do on the Sabbath. All right? Um, it, to help you understand it, in the Bible there's the Ten Commandments that you and I know. Then in Leviticus they have all of these other ideas behind it and interpretations of it. What the Jews had done is they had taken those Ten Commandments and they had refined them over the years. By the time Jesus gets on the scene, they have taken the Ten Commandments, which were of God, and then they have 613 commandments to help you do the Ten Commandments. All right? You get now before we let we do that, okay? I mean, you know, you 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 think about it for a minute. You know, we we do that. We set you know, we want our kids to be in home and in bed at 11 o'clock. So what time do you tell them to get home? If you're a wise parent. Yeah, 9 or 10 o'clock, all right? You, you make sure that, you know, because what's a kid going to do? He's going to push right up against the line. If you want them in bed at 11, you can't have them rolling into the house at 11. If you want them in bed at 11, you've got to get them home by 9 or 10. So, you know, so you make a commandment a rule, a boundary, in order to support this rule or boundary. Follow how that works? That's what they were doing. They took the Ten Commandments and said, okay, we're going to help you understand that. For instance, when it says honor, uh, when it says, um, um, uh, honor the Sabbath, what does that mean? What defines working and what doesn't define working? Well, they had 39 things that they had that specifically applied to the Sabbath. So that you could decide, for instance, one of the things was you couldn't carry a needle in your robe on the Sabbath. That was work. Right? I don't know. Apparently people carried needles in robes. Um, but it was, it was a deal. So that's what they had. So it says here, there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, let's, let's think about this for a minute. You have had a disease for 38 years. You're sitting by a pool because you're hoping to get in the pool when the water starts so that you can be healed. And Jesus comes along, God comes along and says, I have a question for you. Do you want to get healed? Now that seems like that's, it seems like it's, it's like a, honestly, I'm not being disrespectful. It seems like it's a dumb question. But it's a very important question. Because what Jesus is wanting this guy to do is to realize what his problem is. Because this guy doesn't realize what his problem is. And I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. Um, it, it's what I have to do a lot of times in counseling. I ask people, I say, do you want help? And what do people say? Yes. What am I really asking? Will you do whatever I ask you to do? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, then you really don't want help. 
You just want a listening ear. You know? And, and the idea is, the, the polite, politically correct way is we go, do you want help? Jesus, the politically correct way, and Jesus is going, do you want to be healed? Now, the normal answer, if you've been sick for 38 years, would be what? Yes. That's not what the guy says. And that's really important to our story. Notice what happened. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. I have no one to help me get in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in, goes down ahead of me. This is important. What does the guy say? Do you want to get well? And what does he say? Yeah, I, he's kind of saying, yeah, I want to get well, but I can't get in the pool fast enough. That wasn't the question. Why? And this is key to our story here today. This is key to your my life and mine. The guy is focusing on the pool, not Jesus. See, he's got his own way that he's going to get healed. And that's what he's waiting for. So he doesn't even recognize Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. And you're going to see that in a minute. He doesn't know Jesus. So Jesus says, do you want to get well? And instead of saying, yes, I want to get well. Can you help me get well? He goes, yeah, I just can't get in the pool fast enough. Can you help me get in the pool? Is what he's saying. Why? And this is important to us when we get to the application this morning. In his own mind, he has the way it's supposed to work. But God has a much better plan. God has a much better plan for this guy. And notice what happens next. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, think about this for a minute. For 38 years, you have not been able to do that. I mean, not with a cane, not with a walker, not with anything. You have basically had people carry you, lay you down. You've got a mat. This is pretty much where you're living. It says here this, this whole place is surrounded by the lame, the sick, the paralyzed, the infirm. This is like, this is like the, this is, this is probably one of the most saddest scenes you've ever come upon. Which, by the way, let me throw this out. Why was Jesus in Jerusalem? Help me out. Why was Jesus in Jerusalem? For the feast. What's he doing here? See, this is what you'll learn about Jesus. Jesus doesn't stay with all the religious stuff. Jesus is out where people need help. Jesus is out where people need, need help. Jesus is out where he can do something. He's not hanging around. I'm going to say it this way. He's not hanging around the church all the time. He's out where the people are. Ministering, trying to make a difference. And, and, and what's really fascinating to me is this. He only picks one guy that we know of. We'll wrestle with why, why one? Why not all of them? Why didn't Jesus walk in and go, be healed and walk out? Why pick one guy? We wrestled with this a little bit in Sunday school this morning um, with this idea of comparison and fairness and that concept. But anyway, Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, if you're this guy, what are you going to do? Huh? Laugh at him. I, I, honestly, I'm looking at the guy going, yeah, right. But I think Greg said it best this morning, but he goes, you know, I, I, I kind of started to kind of feel like I had nothing else to lose. You know? 
I think it's kind of like, you know what? I got nothing else to lose. I just pick up. I, all right, we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a shot. I mean, how, what do I got to lose? I think the guy's crazy. I don't know who he is. He thinks I can walk. Okay, notice what it says. The next story goes on. <coughs> At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Have you ever seen anybody come out of surgery where a leg or an ankle or something else has been worked on? Something that has not worked for any length of time? You know, one of the big things in hospitals is, is atrophy. They, they, they want to keep limbs moving and stuff like that. And in and, and the old days, remember when, like, you had surgery and they, 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 like, kept you in bed for, like, days at a time before they got you up and walked? Now, I mean, you know, you can have major back surgery. They got you up walking by the end of the day um, because they don't want muscles and stuff to atrophy. So you know what muscles would do. Can you imagine what his muscles had done after 38 years of not walking? And Jesus says, Gets up, get up and walk, and he's automatically cured. And it says, and at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now think about this for a minute. 38 years people have carried you, and now you've got your mat. Are you not excited? Are you not trying to dance? I mean, are you not trying to skip and run and jump and, and go, this is cool, wow. Um, you know, he's got his mat, he's there, he's walking. Notice what happened. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, can you think of this? Okay. I mean, I want you to think about this. This guy hasn't walked in 38 years. He's tooling along with his mat, and somebody will go up and goes, hey, you can't do that. It's a Sabbath. Okay. I don't think the guy was a Christian, so I would imagine there were a lot of non-Christian words that he had for these people. Um, but the Bible doesn't record those. Um, and he replied. He doesn't know what to say. The guy doesn't know. He has no clue. So he goes, hey, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your man and walk. He goes, you know, I, I don't know if I should or if I shouldn't. I haven't been able to do this for 38 years, but you know what? I'm just doing it because some guy told me to do it. And they come to him and notice what they say. Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The Jews are like, okay, somebody broke the Sabbath in telling you to do that. We want him. Who was it? Who was it? They didn't know who it was. Notice what he said. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. He goes, that guy over, oh, he's gone. Well, there was a guy over there. Well, what did he look like? Well, you know, he was like, you know, long white robe, beard, you know. I, I don't know what he looked like. We don't know. But he, you know, he goes, I, look, I'm walking. I'm carrying my mat. Don't care. Um, where was the guy? Don't know. Don't know who he was. Don't know. What, he told me to do it. I'm doing it. If it's wrong, okay, I guess I shouldn't do it, but I'm, I'm really happy that I get to do this. Uh, he was over there. That's all I know. Um, this is how absurd the system had gotten. And so often you're going to find, when we talk about the miracles, here's what you're going to find. A lot of times Jesus confronts this. Um, now, I don't some of you have been Christians for a really long time and you like get into this kind of stuff. So let me talk, you know, often you hear me say in the Bible, there's a story and then there's layers below it. So let me take you way, 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 way down in some of the layers. One of the things Jesus constantly confronts in miracles on the Sabbath is what he's showing is that he is Lord of the Sabbath. 
that he's the guy who, as God, established the Sabbath. If he established the Sabbath, he can sure in the world do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. And so one of the things that you see often in Scripture is that undertone. Um, he's going to address that here in this story. But notice what happens. He ha- they, they, they criticize him and they say, the law forbids you to carry a mat. Here are some of the Sabbath rules that they had during that time. Um, let me find them here. Okay. Um, you could borrow a jar of oil or wine, but you could not say, would you lend me a jar of oil or wine? That was a sin. Um, if you put oil in a lamp and you blew it out on the Sabbath, if you did it because you were afraid of the Gentiles, because you thought thieves were coming into your house, or because someone was sick, that was okay. But if you did it because you wanted to save oil, that was a sin. If you had a toothache on the Sabbath, you could take vinegar and put vinegar on your toothache, but you could not take that same vinegar and put it on an ailment on your foot. That was work. Putting on your tooth was not work. That was okay on the Sabbath. Putting on your foot, that was a violation of the Sabbath. They had these kinds of crazy interpretations. And they would argue incessantly over what does it mean. That's why they tried to question Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? They figured whatever he says is wrong. And he was brilliant in his response. Because he summed up everything when he said, Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like unto you, live, you love your neighbor as yourself. But... This guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. All he knows, and this is, I think this is important in the story, all he knows is he simply has to obey him. And that's what he does. Notice what happens next. The story goes on, and it says, Later, Jesus found him where? At the temple. Why is this guy at the temple? The first place he goes after he's healed is the temple. We don't know why. It may have been because, I'll give you a couple of ideas. It may have been because um, that's just where he thought he should go to thank God for what had happened. It may have been because um, he had sinned. Often in this culture, sin and sickness were associated. And so it was an idea of going to the temple and getting right with God because his sin had caused his sickness. That's what some people believed. Um, that, but remember, the, the disciples asked Jesus that question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. You know, that, that was, a, that was a, a belief at the time. And so it may have been because of that. It may have been because this guy, for 38 years, wouldn't have had a home. So people in that culture didn't know where else to turn except the church or the temple to go, um, where somebody got a place I can stay, somebody got somebody here who will take me in or take me home or whatever else. We don't know, but he's at the temple. And notice what happens. Jesus finds him at the temple. So Jesus searches the guy out, finds him at the temple, and says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Um, it may have, that's why people, some people believe that it was because of his sin. Uh, some people believe this is Jesus making a statement about, okay, now you're a believer, you need to stop your former life prior to your 38 years of sickness. Some believe that the idea here of stop sinning is, okay, I've dealt with your physical sickness. Now let's deal with your heart before God. Change your heart. Follow God. Stop sinning. 
Um, but Jesus says, look, stop sinning or something worse could happen. The people who interpret it that way are saying this. Look, I've healed you physically. Now you've come to the temple. You want to get right with God. Get right with God. Change your lifestyle. Stop sinning. Follow God with your whole heart. Or if you don't, something else, speaking of eternity in hell, far worse could happen to you. Um, I think that's probably the idea um, is what Jesus is saying. But the man goes away and tells the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. I don't think the guy is spiteful or hateful or anything else. I think he's just going, I think this guy's so excited that now he knows who helped him. He's like, I, yeah, I got no, I got no problem telling you who helped me. Jesus helped me. Jesus did this. Um, and notice what happened. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, and notice it says these things, so there, there may have been some other things happened there at the pool. We don't know. Not because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. So at this point, they really become aggressive about trying to get rid of Jesus. Because if you've got a guy who's going, I'm God, and healing people, and then healing people on the Sabbath, believe me, people are not going to be listening to you. They're going to be listening to him. So the only re way to get them to listen to you again is to get rid of him. And that was the mindset. So that's, what, that's the kind of things that are going to lead up now to, to the cross um, within, you know, within basically about 18 months. So um, a, couple, a bunch of lessons for us. Um, here we go. Here, here, here's the first one. And, and I think to, to, for us, for those of us who are Christians, I think this is the big lesson for us. I think a lot of times we're like that guy at the pool where we're kind of sitting there by the edge of the pool. We're waiting for God to do something, and we have in our mindset the way it should happen. And so our focus is on the pool. It's not on what God wants us to do. It's on the pool. So, for instance, let me give you, again, a practical example. So here we go. I'm struggling in my marriage because my spouse is not doing what they're supposed to do. But God, I'm going to pray for my spouse because if my spouse will do the right things, then I'll be able to be the right spouse. See, God, I got this figured out. Fix my wife, and then I'll love her. It's simple. Fix my wife, and then I can love her. Right now, my wife, my wife isn't. Okay, I'm just using her as an example. <clears throat> my wife's great. Um, but I mean, so, so right now, where it's like I'm sitting on the edge of the pool going, okay, God, you've got to fix my wife. You've got to fix my wife. Because see, God, right now, she's like impossible to love. She's crabby. She's mean. She's hateful. Um, you know, and that, I can't love somebody like that. But if, if, if you can change your heart, God, you change her, then I will be able to love her like I'm supposed to love her. And God's standing there going, do you want your marriage fixed? Yes, yes, I do. Fix my wife. Fix my wife. And God's going, husbands, love your wives as I love the church. Fix my wife. Fix my wife. You see what happens? We're so focused on the way we want it to happen that we're ignoring the simple commands of God to fix our problems. 
Because we want to make it, we want to make it something else. We want to make it about the pool. Jesus, you want to be well? Yeah, I want to be well. Get me in the water. Get me in the water. You want your marriage fixed? Yeah, yeah, fix my wife, fix my wife. Or we get into or, or we get into situations like, you know, you don't understand. That person hurt me so bad. I could never, ever forgive them. But you know what? If they will come and ask my forgiveness, then I will forgive them. So God, work in their heart so that they will come to me. And God says, do you want me to fix it? Yes, God, fix it. Fix them. Fix them. God, fix them, and I'll be good. We'll have a great relationship again. Fix them. And God says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. No, 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 God, this isn't about me forgiving them. This is about them coming to me. God says, no, 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 forgive them. But God, you don't understand what they did. No, 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 forgive them. Because, see, forgiveness is about you. It's not about them. Forgiveness is about you getting rid of that weight. Forgiveness is about you getting rid of that burden. You're staring at the pool going, if they will just do this, I, I'm going to keep going. I'm on a roll. Um, God, I want to be a more generous person. And you know what, God? If you will give me more money, then I could be more generous. Just give me more money, God. Give me more talents. Give me more ability. Give me more time. God, if you will do that, then I will be more. And God says, give generous no no no. see god if i'm generous i can only give like a dollar i want to give like a hundred dollars so if you give me a thousand dollars i can give a hundred dollars you know joe over there he's struggling with his family he's having a tough time i i want to help joe god but all i can do right now is five dollars and that's not enough money so god here, here here's what i want you to do you give me like a, a big bonus this week and i'll give a part of it to joe and god's going give to Joe. But see, God, look, Joe's not a 501c3 corporation. <laughs> by the way, the, by the way, IRS, I was reading this morning, just going to make that easier for companies to be able to get that. So that's like great. Uh, but it, it's like, okay, so uh, 501c3, if, if Joe would like, you know, if I could get something out of it, God, then, then I'll help Joe. God says, help Joe serve one another god look here's the thing god i want to be able to help my fellow employees so god here's the deal here's my plan here's my pool i got this figured out if you will get me up into the leadership of the company climb the corporate ladder when i get there i can make decisions that will help these people down here so god in order to serve these people you got to help me get up the ladder God says, you want to be at the top of the ladder? Yeah, then serve now. You want to be first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me be at the top so I can make real change. Then be last. Serve now. See, God's command, his word, is so simple. But yet, we don't get it because we want to look at the pool. We want to look at the way we've got it figured out. And that's where some of you are right now. You've got it all figured out in your head how God should do it or how it should work. And the truth of the matter is, 
Jesus is standing off the side looking at you going, you really want it fixed? You really want to deal with, 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 with your, an unforgiving heart? Yes, I do. Then forgive. You, you, you really want to be the kind of spouse you, that, God, that I want you to be? Yes, yes, yes. Then love your spouse. Serve them. Here's a crazy idea. Here's a crazy marriage concept. Try to outserve your spouse this week. Try to get into the kitchen and cook before they do. Guys, find out how the dishwasher works. Learn how to load it. I'm talking to myself now. My wife's going, yeah, yeah, I got, I, see, I got a daughter-in-law and my wife going, um, why not? Try to outserve your spouse. See who can be the first one to get the laundry done this week. See who can get the first person to get the trash out this week. Are you ready for this? If you have separate cars, take hers and fill it up. People are going, whoa, you're going to, let me tell you something. Yeah, Jesse, Jesse, yeah, we had, we had potluck, where was Jesse at? Oh, yeah, Jesse, gee, oh, man, he messed us all up, you know. We're talking, Wednesday night, we're all talking about that, and, and Peggy, you know, Peggy's sitting there, and she goes, well, I'm spoiled, and we're going, what do you mean you're spoiled? She goes, well, before Jess puts his clothes in the laundry basket, he folds them first, and we're going, whoa, that, 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 that ain't not, you know. Jesse's like putting us at a hole. And Jesse, of course, Jesse, she's smart. He's going, it's an OCD thing. I can't help myself. Um, and we're looking at it going, oh, man, that's just like a bad thing for all of us. Uh, all the guys at the table are going, you know, laund- <laughs> half of us are going, laundry basket, what's that? Uh, outserve one another. You see what I'm saying? Too many times we get our way of we, this is how it should be fixed instead of just simply doing what God wants us to do. I think there's a second, I think a second lesson is this, is, is that, look, God's God. God doesn't owe any of us an explanation on how come he didn't heal everybody's pool. I think there's a reason he picked this guy. Um, and I'll get to that in a second because that, that's my third point, but God doesn't owe you an explanation. You, got, you know, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. We say that we want life to be fair, but we're kidding ourselves. We don't want life to be fair. We just want more. You see, because if, 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 God, if God stepped down from heaven and said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the world fair all the way across the board. Do you understand that every one of us in here would lose what we have? There's not a person in here that would get more. Everyone would get less. So we really don't want the world to be fair. We just want more. Because we have it very, very good. And God walks into this area where all these people needed help. First of all, He walked in there because he wanted to make a difference. He didn't have to be there. He chose to be there. And secondly, he picks out this guy, and I think there were others, but he picks out this guy as recorded in the Scripture for a very specific reason. And that's my my third issue is the third lesson I have in this story for me is this idea of 
I think he was probably the most hopeless case sitting there. The thing that's focused in this story is 38 years. Let me tell you something. After 38 years, you've pretty much given up hope of ever getting better. And this guy's sitting there for 38 years going, maybe somebody could like push me into the water. But if everybody sitting around you has a focus to try to get in the water first, kind of hopeless. And I think this guy probably represented out of all those people there one of the most hopeless cases possible. And I think Jesus healing this person and them watching this guy get up and walk simply by obeying his word sent a very strong message of hope to everyone at that, at that pool that day. That maybe, maybe my day will come too. Um, some of you are up against situations right now that in all honesty you have lost hope in. It's a marriage that you can't see any, any, any hope. It's a kid that has walked away from God and walked away from you that you don't see any hope in. It may be a job that you see as a dead-end job with no hope, no future, no anything. Some of you maybe have even come to a point that you see no hope or future even in your life. And then your solution is, if I could just end it and get over with it, it will be done. And don't underestimate the number of people sitting here today that struggle with stuff like that that they have come to that point in their life that they feel everything is that hopeless can i say to you this morning this is a story of hope in a hopeless situation this is a story of a future when there is no future this is a story of someone being able to go forward when all they could do was be stuck because when Jesus comes into the picture and you learn to listen to him and learn to obey him, it gives hope to the hopeless. It gives a future to the people who are stuck in the present or the past. And it lets you go forward in a time when you're just stuck where you are. And I, I can't stress this enough because I think one of the underlying things of this story is 38 years. And this guy's life begins when he starts listening to God. And I would say the same thing to you. When you start being obedient, you say, well, does that mean everything will be all roses? No. No. But it does mean that there's hope. And it does mean there's a future. And it does mean that there is something to look forward to. I can't imagine this guy's life from this point on. I, did he take up dancing lessons? I don't know. Did he go try to run a, a marathon? I don't know. But he could now. Why? Because Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. A simple command. And the guy said, okay. I'll give it a shot. I'll try. I'll listen to you. God's word's that powerful. And God has that ability in each of us and in each one of those situations that you feel is hopeless. As I look at the Scripture, there is only one thing that I see in Scripture that is hopeless. And that is if you die in this world without having put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
I think Dante said it best when he was talking about um, the in Dante's Inferno. And again, this isn't the Bible. This is this is just secular writing. But when he describes hell, one of the things that he describes it as is this. He says, above hell there's a sign that says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. People talk about the worst thing of hell and all kinds of goofy stuff out there about devils and horns and pitchforks and crazy stuff, but I think the worst thing that I see when I study the Scriptures about the doctrine of heaven and hell. And you go, well, I don't believe in hell. You've you got two choices. Either there's nothing, or there's a heaven and a hell. You're like, I don't believe in anything. I, I just believe like it, 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 there's a heaven. There's nothing more than heaven. Really? Then what do you do for the flip side of it? Because we're in a world that is designed in its very core to have two opposites. When God created light, dark, sun, moon, heaven, nothing? No, don't fit. They don't fit. So as, as I look at it, one of the worst things that I see about it is the idea that it is a place without hope. It is, it is without hope. But until that day, until that place, until that time, as long as you are believing, breathing, we have hope in any situation that we're up against. So my challenge to you today is this. I, I end it this way. I trust this morning that you will understand that God is God. That you'll stop focusing on doing things your way and simply be obedient to what God wants you to do. And to realize that God wants to work even in hopeless situations. And He will if we let Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Guide us to direct it. Lord, it's easy for us to get our focus on our way. It's easy for us to miss what You want to do. God, help us this morning. Lord, there's some here this morning that really have given up hope. Circumstances, life, situations. Lord, would You encourage them this morning? Fathers, for others, they have been stuck where they've been sitting around wanting you to do things that really, Lord, they need to change. That, Lord, it's not about doing it their way. It's about them doing it your way. So help them this morning to listen to your voice. Help them to be able to turn their eyes upon you and take their eyes off the pool. And, uh, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our lives as we seek to live for you and honor you this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um,